birth. Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 to 15. Samuel rebukes Saul. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, and where 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah and Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sands on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites saw their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets, among the rocks, and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offering. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, When I saw the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling at Milkmash, I thought now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favour. So I felt complete to, to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing. Samuel said. You have not kept the command your Lord, your God, you, your God gave you. You had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will endure. The Lord has sought out, out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah and Benjamin, and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. Amen. Amen. So, we're just about halfway through a series called Long Story Short, which focuses on the major events of the Bible to provide a, probably an overview of the book and its historical context. Through scripture, we can see God progressively revealing himself to us. The journey so far has been an interesting one, and if you've been here every week, you'll know it has. And if you've not been here every week, you can catch up on our YouTube channel, BV Church. Because so far, we've looked at creation and promise, exodus, covenant, and conquest. And today, we're going to focus on kingdom. You may have picked up a theme to the hymns and songs we've been singing. Today, we're going to go on a 
a whistle-stop tour of 130 years or more when the early kings ruled over Israel. But don't panic, you will be home in time for lunch. But if you've time in the coming days, you might find it worthwhile to pick up your Bible or your phone app or whatever and sit down and read about some of the things that are actually happening. Because I've been doing this, you know, preparing for this, and it's a while since I sat down with Saul, and you learn so much more if you sit and ponder the scripture. So let's just take a moment to pray. Father God, we love you and we long to learn more about you. So we pray that you would open up our eyes and our hearts to your words today. That your Holy Spirit might stir something inside of us. That it would be relevant to who we are and how we live our lives. So we say, come Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, I spent a morning in the church office writing references. Great job. So all of the leaders who have signed up, now they are already PVG checked, but Scripture Union have their own uh, uh, reference checking system. So David and I were duly delegated to write references for the people who have volunteered for Holiday Club. That's the Four Churches Holiday Club, in case you missed the plug at the beginning, 3rd to the 5th of April. Yep, see Ray after. So for each person, I had to write about how long I'd known them, how I knew them, and then think about how well that person would work as part of a team. Fortunately, we know them quite well, and they do work quite well as part of a team. But then the question was, how do they work under a team leader? Submitting to authority. That was, you know, yeah, most people can do that as well, so that was fine. But later that same morning, I started my preparation for today and soon realized that you could almost write a reference for each of the kings that we're going to speak about about how well they submitted to the authority of God or didn't. We start by looking at Saul. And actually, we're going to spend more time with him than anyone. But before we do that, let's be clear. God is the king. He's the king of the universe. And I'm not going to burst into song there, the children's song. But it states in Exodus 15, 18, the Lord reigns forever and ever. However, let's find out why we had a king. So, the book of 1 Samuel, it offers striking contrast between succeeding in God's way and trying to achieve goals, trying to achieve goals by any means necessary. How often do we find ourselves doing the same? How often do we ask God for guidance when we're planning something? Instead of waiting for a clear answer, because we're impatient, we carry on and do our own thing. Guilty. 
But perhaps we can learn something from Saul today. You see, in the earlier chapters of 1 Samuel, God listens to the cries of the people to appoint a king. Now, up to that point, there had been no king. No king over Israel. They had entered Israel, the promised land under Joshua. There had been leaders and there had been judges to oversee the law given by God. People like Gideon and Samson and Deborah. And the last of these was Samuel. Remember Samuel, the the little boy who heard God's voice and then he grew to be a prophet. So, jumping back a little bit, in 1 Samuel 7, I think there's a verse coming up, from year to year he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. So we're still with Samuel at the moment. So Samuel was a fair and just judge. But sadly, like today, so many people had fallen away from God and did not always walk in his way. They wanted to do it their own way. They looked at the surrounding countries who all had kings, and they wanted to have a king to rule over them too. And then in 1 Samuel 8, the elders of Israel approached Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, you are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. They said, give us a king to lead us. Well, as you can imagine, Samuel was a wee bit upset by this, and he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him in verse 7, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. God lets people have their own way, as he has done throughout history. God allows us, in the words of a Fleetwood Mac song, and I'm probably showing my age here, you can go your own way. But doing so doesn't always end well. So in 1 Samuel 9, we have the story of, in verse 2 it says, a handsome young man named Saul, who's looking out, um, his father's donkeys were lost. So he'd gone searching with a servant to find them. And then having searched for several days, they head to a town to see a man of God, or a seer. And that man was Samuel, who might be able to tell them where the donkeys were. But God was already there ahead of them. 1 Samuel 9, verses 15 to 17, which you can just about read. Now the day before Saul came the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. 
So the next day, Saul rocks up to ask about the donkeys, unaware that his life was just about to change. Samuel anointed Saul as king at Gilgal. And you may remember the significance of that place from last week, from David's talk. And so we come to 1 Samuel 10, verse 1. Samuel took a flask of olive oil, and he poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? I like the New Living Translation version of this. I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. Now, before the institution of the monarchy back then, only the priests were anointed with oil. And if you go back to Exodus 29, you can read about how Aaron and his sons were all anointed to be priests. Now, by anointing the kings of the first king of Israel, God was showing that he was going to establish a monarchy. I have to say that as I read that verse, I was taken back to a time last year. You remember the coronation of King Charles III in Westminster Abbey. Near the beginning of the service, there was a time where they put up a screen and Charles is standing in a linen shirt, no fur robes or anything, no crown, just a simple man. And he and the Archbishop of Canterbury were behind the screen where the Archbishop anointed Charles, who was only a prince at that point, anointed him to be king. They were behind the screen because this was a moment for them and God, not for the public eye. Now, there might be lots of debates about the role of the monarchy today, but the simple act that we knew was happening had an historical and godly significance. So we come back to Saul. He started off well. He won a great battle against the Ammonites, after which Saul's kingship was renewed in the presence of the Lord at Gilgal. A few years of Saul's kingship have passed before we come to chapter 13, which is what we heard today. And we begin to see the change in Saul. In the space of a short time, Saul has gone from being obedient, listening to God, waiting on God, to being a leader who was only interested in his own plans and designs, rather like some of the despotic leaders we've had throughout history whether they be kings, presidents, or prime ministers. Some of them still rule in some parts of the world today. Saul wanted his own way. He didn't want God's help. His way was best. But he was soon to realize that trying to do it in his own way would lead to failure. So, in chapter 13, Saul had called his army to muster at Gilgal. 
a place which seemed, you know, had religious significance, as well as being the place where he was anointed king. Samuel had called on Saul to wait seven days, just seven days for his arrival, to offer the sacrifice to the Lord before battle commenced. But because Samuel didn't turn up immediately on day seven, fear set in. And so Saul decided to take the offerings himself, a role which was not his to do, because only the priest was entitled to do or ordained to do that. In this case, it would be Samuel. Saul wanted to do it so that he could find favor with God so that he would win the battle over the Philistines. He had become accustomed to to wielding his power and authority, so he, he took matters into his own hands. When Samuel turned up, Saul acted as if he had done nothing wrong. And then in verses 11 and 12, he stoops really low. And if you maybe see the red bits, he tries to pass the blame onto the soldiers for deserting the king. And that was why he had to do it. He then suggests it was Samuel's fault for arriving late. That was another reason for doing it. And finally, he compounds it all by saying that he just, he made himself, he forced himself to do, to make the offering. Why did he get it so wrong? There's a sense that this was a real time of testing of Saul's faith and patience. And he failed. Saul had failed to submit to authority. And yet, we all fail. You don't need to be a king for this to happen. I'm sure that we can all think of a few life experiences where we perhaps not been listening to God as we ought, and we've done our own thing. And unsurprisingly, those plans have never worked out. The lesson here is to commit our plans to God and to have patience to wait for the response. Patience to wait for the response. And that's not easy sometimes. I may have used this illustration before, but I I love Nicky Gumbel's idea of answers to prayer being like a set of traffic lights. God might answer with the red light, stop, no, don't do anything just now. Green, yes, go. Go and do. I give you permission. And then sometimes there is the orange, the amber light. Not yet. Just wait. And it's that waiting that sometimes catches us out. We have to be patient. We have to trust God, unlike Saul. God had given Saul everything he needed in order to succeed, but Saul was brought down by his own wrong choices. Samuel tells Saul that he has done a foolish thing and adds, in verse 14, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart 
and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Two chapters later, we once again find Saul failing to submit to the Lord's plans as they prepared for battle with the Amalekites, even going so far as to set up a monument in his own honor after the battle. The chapter ends with God regretting that he had made Saul king over Israel. And then we move on. I quoted there in verse 14, God had already seen someone, a man after God's own heart. And that was a shepherd boy, David, the youngest of the eight sons of Jesse, of the tribe of Judah. David would, some say, go on to be the greatest king in the Old Testament. Now, he was probably about 15 years old, when he was anointed by Samuel under God's guidance, even though Saul was still the king. Now, we see some of our young people sitting here, and some of them are approaching 15. Can you imagine one of them being given that power and authority and how they might cope? However, David waited patiently for his time to come to the throne. In the meantime, he faced off against Goliath with his slingshot, and he won, which initially seemed to earn him some favor from Saul, until Saul's jealousy took over. Saul couldn't cope with David's popularity, and so tried to kill him. But God prevented any harm befalling David. Even though David had opportunities to kill Saul, he chose not to. And he bided his time until he would take over as king, believing that God would act when the time was right. One commentator suggests that if Saul was the people's king, they had demanded a king, so he was their king, then David was God's king. When David eventually acceded to the throne in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 5, he was a good king. He was a shepherd, a good military leader who won many battles and also the respect of the people. David was humble and obedient to God. He was resourceful. He was also a poet and a musician. And with a resume like that, it's a wonder he even managed to write 70 psalms to glorify God, the best known of which is Psalm 23. David continued to obey God. However, even David had his faults. And his came in the form of lusting after another man's wife. We can probably all remember the story of Bathsheba, And David committed adultery with her and then plotted to have her husband killed on the battlefield after it was found out that Bathsheba was pregnant. Bathsheba mourned for her husband and after the period of mourning, David took her to be his wife. The Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to David to challenge his behavior. And the words that Nathan speaks were painful ones to David. Nathan 
tells a parable which offers a contrast between a rich man and a poor man. It's about the greed of a wealthy man whose covetousness cannot be stopped. And he grabs whatever he can to the detriment of the poor man. It's a story about class and abuse of power, at the end of which David admits that the rich man was in the wrong. So he saw it as a a parable, but he didn't see it reflecting his life. And his reaction illustrates how much easier it is to diagnose sickness in another person rather than looking in the mirror. Nathan had to point out to him, you are that rich man. Now, where David differed from Saul, he admitted that he had sinned before God. And his response was to write Psalm 51, which is headed for the director of music, a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. David pours out his heart, pleading to God for mercy. Verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And then in verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I wonder how many of us could write so eloquently when faced with our own transgressions. David faced failure. And his reaction was to work at seeking forgiveness in the eyes of God. And it worked, because he went on to be an even better king. Now, if we'd had even more time today, we might have gone on to look at David's son, Solomon who for years ruled the kingdom with wisdom and his heart turned to God, writing Proverbs and Song of Songs and Ecclesiastes. But later in his kingship, he started worshipping other gods because he married people from other countries to try and make peace. And then they led him astray. So he worshipped the other gods, but he still worshipped God as well but we're told not to worship any other god but God alone. Other things or idols took the place of the real worship of God. Might we fall into that category? Might we do likewise? Have the idols of wealth or success, celebrity, or you name the idol that might be in your life, Have those things taken the place of worshipping God? Are we on the lookout for substitutes for the kingdom? The next king to follow uh, follow Solomon was his son, 
Rehoboam. And he also faced problems, but he tried to solve them without consulting God, but rather consulting different groups of people, um, you know, wise sages who give him some advice. And he didn't like that advice, so he went to this group and asked for advice here. I didn't like so he went to find a group of people who would tell him what he wanted to hear. And do it, he ended up doing what he wanted in the end. This is only a brief snapshot of those kings. All of those kings failed at what they were supposed to do. Now, the question we might be asking ourselves, why does God use such imperfect or flawed people? He does. He uses imperfect people. Every one of us is imperfect because we're human. But what we learn from their stories is that their success and their failures really didn't have anything to do with their abilities or opportunities. It had everything to do with their obedience to God, their humility to God, and their worship of him. But it's still amazing that God used those people despite their weaknesses and their lack of obedience, despite their inability to walk in his way. In spite of all of that, God's kingdom continued to move forward. And now to cut a long story short, we fast forward a thousand years and the Davidic line of God's kingdom would continue with the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, the King of our lives. Jesus is the only truly good person in the Bible. Yes, lots of people in the Bible, and they have some good bits about them, but they also have bad bits. The only truly good person is Jesus. Every other person, and all of us, we're human. And as part of humanity, we are all basically flawed. But God uses imperfect people to establish his perfect plan. We can't build God's kingdom because he's going to do that. But we can help build towards it, waiting for and listening to God for guidance and direction. The kings that we've looked at today, they, they chose to be part of the world. They chose to respond to humanity rather than trusting God. But we are in the fortunate position that we have Jesus. And in Luke 4, Jesus speaks of his anointing, his setting apart, because he goes to the temple in Nazareth And he stood up to read the scrolls, and he reads from Isaiah 61, verses which signify empowerment by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressors free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Then he, that's Jesus, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This scripture has been fulfilled for all of us. And as we await Jesus Christ's return, as we wait for him to come back again, for the kingdom of God to be established, we have one job to do. So are you ready to serve the kingdom? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. And Lord, where you have stirred our hearts, we pray that we can speak to you to bring your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.